1: Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director and Founder of the Commonwealth Policy Center. Pastor and theologian Kevin DeYoung recently asked in a column he wrote in World Magazine, he said, what should the Christian's posture be to a hostile world? Kevin DeYoung gave several recommendations for how Christians and how the Church can engage in a hostile world. He says that there is no simple answer, but he does give us several Biblical Principles for How to Engage. And joining us on this edition of the Commonwealth Matters is good friend and pastor, Brant Lyon. Brant, welcome to the program. Good to be with you. Hey, uh, the reason why we have spent uh, the last couple of weeks on the Commonwealth Matters talking about um, churches and the Christians' um, response to the culture and the issues of the day is because I am convinced that the church is... um, a special institution that God puts on earth to be a place of hope, to be the purveyor and teacher of truth, to be a place of refuge for the broken. And it's something that we have um that we have forgotten, I think, that the church has this uh a, a specific role um in in their community, in a specific mission that God has called them to be. And I I'm convinced that unless the church um thinks through the issues and engages these issues well and engages
0: the culture well, there's really not a lot of hope. I agree. And it's a massive and it's a vital mission that we have that that no other uh, sphere within the culture can deal with. So for instance, we 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 do believe that the gospel is the hope of restoration and redemption of the broken world, correct? I mean that's that's just basic part of our worldview. Well, well, the one thing that we know is it's not the president or the legislature who's finally going to come out and say, uh, trust in Christ uh, will we'll bring new life and will transform the heart of people. Only the church says that. And it is our message to give. And I think one of the sad things in our culture is to watch so many of us back away from that mission of sharing the truth of the gospel and its transformative power. They're not going to hear it anywhere else.
1: They won't. And this sounds radical. I mean, there's people listening in who are not part of the church, never been to church, and it sounds radical, maybe even arrogant, to say that the church is the hope of the world, because that's what we're saying.
0: It is absolutely what we're
1: saying. And, and at the core of that is that Jesus is the hope of the world, and that's what the church teaches, right? Yeah. They teach the, the truth of Jesus, his um, living a perfect life, his... Um, dying of the perfect death, taking on the sins of the world, and then, of course, the resurrection. Um, and for those who are in him, those who have put their faith and hope in him, have uh, a new life, and they have hope of an eternal life with him. And that is the good news of the gospel. Uh, and this is what the church is tasked with uh, teaching, with, uh, with stewarding, if you will, this, this message. Um, so, so Kevin DeYoung, uh, in his column in World Magazine, is really uh, addressing this uh, the, the 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 angry moment that we're in this angry cultural moment where there's a, the the political equation is pitting um, parties and ideologies against one another, where the world is often pitted against the church, the church is pitted against the world. And, and DeYoung is trying to help us think um, carefully and to, and to really ground us biblically into how to, um, how to approach this hostile world. And we look, th- there is hostility. There's sin in the world. Um, there are those who say the church has no business speaking to culture, no business speaking to the issue. And, and of course, the world's going to be angry when the church does speak to these things um but deyoung does say that there is not a simple answer to what our posture should be in uh in 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 this world towards the world but here the first lesson um that he submits to us that we can learn and there are seven different principles that he shares uh in this column he says that we should set an, a, an example of godliness for the unbeliever and he quotes uh first peter 2:12 and then uh 1 Peter 3.16, well, so we refuse to repay evil for evil. Um, we bless those who do not deserve it, which is totally contrary to how the world might do things. We, if, if, look, if somebody's going to wrong the church, uh, what he's saying here and what we're told in 1 Peter uh, 3.9 is that we instead of cursing, well, we, we bless. Uh, instead of repaying evil for evil, um, we don't do that. Um, and that, that testifies, I think, to this otherworldliness of the faith that it's Absolutely. not natural in our physical bodies, uh, in our physical, you know, m- mortal minds to act in a way that would bless and not engage in, in battle the way the world does.
0: Right. Well, and I think that is from years of churches teaching moralistic, therapeutic de- deism, you know, uh, this idea that. Our religious faith is just to make us better people and to make us happier in life. And the truth is, what our faith teaches is we need a full redemption from our sin nature and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And when you look at, at what's happening through the Holy Spirit, uh, when he indwells us, he brings the fruit. And I think one of the greatest indicators of a person's true faith is whether or not that fruit fruit begins to, to be born in our lives, you know. but when you think about it, a true believer and people of the church ought to be exemplified by love for all people, even for people we disagree with, that there ought to be a love that characterizes our nature, a joy that comes across even in the midst of the worst of difficulty, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things ought to be the pervasive characteristics of, of people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit But again, I think it's only the church that's going to teach that. It's one thing to say we need to be more loving. Our culture is all about more love. What does that look like, though? It's a different thing when the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and and loves through us. Brent, one
1: of the things that Christianity teaches is that we long for a day when there will be no more um, sin, no more brokenness, no more unrighteousness, and we long for a day when. Uh, our actions will be tempered by love, when we will uh, engage one another with love, when we will care for one another uh, in a way that honors God. And that day is coming. That is our hope, that Jesus will
0: make all things new and all things right someday. So let me take it even a step further, and I think this applies to how we're dealing with the culture today. Yeah, it's coming. And I think we can look forward to that time. Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two gives a beautiful picture of times when that you're talking about where he'll wipe every tear from the eye. There'll be no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow. That's a wonderful thing. I think though, what the gospel does to us in the here and now as we receive the fruit of the spirit is we get a glimpse, a taste of heaven in the here and now. It's not a it's not a, a full-fledged picture of heaven, but for the moment, it allows us, first of all, live in peace in the midst of all of the 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 brokenness of the world and for those around us who get to experience that love joy peace and patience through us we become a taste of heaven for people around us i think it's really important that the church not only teach but that we begin to live out those principles of bringing a taste of heaven in the moment and begin to interact with our culture as though we are bringing heaven to the culture
1: so this means uh we obviously speak kindness and graciously to Absolutely. them we're not filled with hate or anger and condemnation like the world filled may be peace. so uh this 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 first point that DeYoung is making and to your point is that we should live demonstrably different lives That's keeping right. our conduct honorable so that outsiders might give christianity a hearing so we do live very different lives um we're not filled with rage and anger uh, condemnation but god fills us with his peace and his joy the second point that he makes is that we need to be prepared to suffer. Not everyone's going to receive this response
0: that we have to the world. Not everyone's going to receive what you're teaching at the new church plant. Are you saying, in fact, that Jesus did not die so that you could be happy for the rest of your life? That's such a difficult message today, though, isn't it? Yeah, but and that's what some teach, though, right?
1: Jesus died yeah. to make your life happy, and health and wealth gospel is is being promoted. and
0: Best luck now. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: And that's not what Jesus taught, though. He, he taught that we would have life and more abundantly. He did not say that we would not have trials and um, testing and uh, persecution because we
0: will have that happen. You look at like, I mean, even when you look at uh, John, the apostle, I mean, his life was very difficult being exiled and such. And yet what fulfillment came through that? What? churches were started what great things happened even in the midst of the suffering that he went through god used it and great things happened and i think a lot of us really are or should be searching for meaning and for purpose more so than than we're searching for happiness yeah and that's what uh, we've all got to answer that question
1: right ultimately what are we here for what is what did god make me to do what's the purpose of my life I find it uh, very uh, uh, disconcerting with the answer that uh, many secularists have, that, look, uh, you're just you're, you're a biological being, uh, you're, you're part of a community, um, find your own joy, find your own happiness, and that when, when it's all done, you're going to go into
0: the ground. There's nothing after this. I find that so disturbing. And honestly, you find people who are hedonistic, who are constantly searching for happiness— End up w- without purpose, uh, when to end up without joy, and so it really is a, a very shallow pursuit.
1: So be prepared to suffer. Uh, DeYoung says this winsomeness is often a desirable aim, but it is not by itself a sufficient cultural strategy. If the world hates the church, perhaps it's not the church's fault, but the fulfillment of what Jesus promised, and that was from he's referring to John fifteen eighteen. We can care for the poor, love one another, and get our tone right, but still the world will hate those who are not of the world. And that's John 15, 19. So uh, be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to walk out the faith. Be prepared to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. But be prepared to suffer because the way we live our lives is really contrary to the standard and to the, and to the goals or the end of what those who are apart from the church. And by the way, we should be burdened. Um, with where they are, those outside the church. We should care about um, those who are still at war with God, those who are still opposing him. And it's hard when you have people attacking you and criticizing right. you. But this is what Jesus did. I mean, he was, while we were yet sinners, um, Christ died for us. And he that's an incredible amount of love that he had for us.
0: And we can... Uh, show this love; it's possible. I always put it this way to, to, to the people of my church: we become a conduit of God's love, so that other people can experience it through us.
1: That's good. That's good. Next point is to build attractive bridges to welcome the curious in. He the uh, young references 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through twenty three, and he says that we should be eager to remove barriers to the gospel. Coming to Christ takes a miracle of the Holy Spirit to regenerate the fallen human heart. We should not make the Holy Spirit provide a second miracle to overcome our stupidity. He's being very blunt there. Mm-hmm. When someone wants to learn more about our faith, we should respond with gentleness and respect, not with boorishness. So we we want to build these bridges, and it's easier, Grant, to be safe in our own tribes, our own enclave, and to look at the world or those outside of the churches as them, right? The, that's the other side. But we're told uh, Scripture would have us to develop relationships, um, to build bridges, and to uh, when, when we live out the gospel in, in, in biblical truths, it should make somebody curious. Well, what is this? Why are they gentle? Why are they not angry? Why, are, why do they have peace in the middle of a, a tumultuous time?
0: Well, I think sometimes, too, we, we put up our own barriers with people because we want to address sin before we address the gospel. You know, so often when we know of somebody that's in sin and we want to confront them on the, we want to confront them on the sin before we share the gospel with them. Well, the truth is a person that doesn't know Christ yet may not even see what we're saying is sinful and it wouldn't make sense apart from the gospel where we've put our faith in Christ. So I think there's a lot of times where we don't ne- need to necessarily address the specific sin in the moment before we've addressed the gospel and shared with them that, that faith in Christ transforms them. And I think that's important because so many times that's the barrier is we let the sin be the barrier. Brent, we are
1: uh, up on a break. Um, we're going to take a 60-second break. So stay with us, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at CPC4Kentucky. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson with Commonwealth Policy Center here with Brant Lyon and we are talking about the Christian's posture to a hostile world. And Brant, it seems that uh the hostility in the world, whether inside the church or those those outside the church towards the church or just those in the the hostility in the culture at large has increased. There's anger, there's frustration. Uh you know, there 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 are awful acts. I think of just what happened recently in Buffalo, this uh, racist who was targeting black people in a grocery store. Ten people lost their lives because of this awful hatred towards the black community. Um, So we see this hostility, and we're talking about how can the church respond in this hostile world. And I'm referencing an article that Kevin DeYoung wrote in World Magazine, and one of the things that he mentions uh, is that the church needs to keep its doctrine pure; that it needs to um, watch out for wolves, those who would come into the church and spread false teaching. And this is, um, you know, Second Peter two twelve. Peter called out false teachings. He called them uh, false teachers. He called them blots and blemishes, accursed children. He had some strong words for those who um, said they were Christians, but they were not living that way. Uh, Brent, you've pastored churches for years. Has this been a challenge? Have you seen false teachers come in, maybe Sunday school teachers or oh, people that you've given the pulpit? I know you're discerning, but maybe unwittingly yeah, had people come in to speak and
0: they just didn't have good doctrine? Or- yeah, on occasion, probably more of the, the, the most difficult ones were actually the Sunday school teachers, because oftentimes they have infiltrated the ranks before you got there, and Uh, and they're part of your fellowship. And so people love them and they want to give them a pass. You know, there's this constant, uh, pull towards degradation, you know, of degrading the truth. And, um, if you're not careful, it's, it's easier for people in the church to just simply say, Oh, it's just old Bob over there. We all know him. We know how he is. Just, just, just plow around the stump there. Don't worry about him. And, and, but that doesn't change the fact that old Bob over there may still be teaching heretical thoughts in your church, and that stuff takes hold and it begins to spread. You've got to be vigilant about it.
1: That's right. And as a shepherd of the
0: congregation, you want to keep the wolves out. You want to keep bad teachings out. But you know, every Sunday when I get up to preach, I pray, Lord, may they not hear me. May they hear you this morning. May they hear a word from you speak through me. And the truth and the reality is that even with theological training and years of pastoring, you let me get up and say what I want to say, and first of all, I'll get it wrong. And number two, they, they don't need to hear what I have to say. There's something about the biblical doctrines that come straight from God that is the whole purpose of our being. And if we cease to, to give them full biblical doctrine that comes from God, what's the point of the church in the first place? They didn't come to hear from me or from Bob from that for that matter. They came in to hear biblical truth.
1: I appreciate you uh, sharing that and being transparent, because you are not speaking from ignorance. I mean, you've got a uh, a couple of degrees. So you're not speaking from this level of just uh, of ignorance, but you are admitting your um, finiteness, your limitations in purveying God's truth. Um, And it takes humility to to acknowledge that as well. Um, One of the points that DeYoung says is, do not think that one size fits all. When the church addresses the issue and faces a hostile culture. Um, He says, if we're to be wise in our posture towards the world, we must discern whether that creature in the distance is a lost sheep looking for a home or a pig ready to trample pearls under his feet. Jesus patiently taught Nicodemus, the Pharisee, because he came looking for help, while John the Baptist denounced the Pharisees as a brood of vipers because they came looking for trouble. If outsiders only get from a sunshine or thunder, we are probably living out our personalities more than we are trying to discern the sort of person in front of us and what message he or she needs to hear. So uh, we have a tendency as people to go to extremes, right? Either all full of grace and lovey-dovey, if you will, or on the other side, all full of truth, fire and brimstone, if you will. And <clears throat> the, we, we know in Scripture that Jesus walked in truth, and in grace. He was always, always speaking the truth, but he walked in grace as well. And Jesus, by the way, was hard with some of his audience. He's very, very hard with the Pharisees. He's very loving uh, to those who were caught in sin. Um, and he, so he discerned the situation. Jesus discerned who he was speaking to and what they needed to hear. And we need to discern, we need to discern as well. The uh, next point is approach cultural and ethical polarities on a case-by-case basis. Sometimes there is no middle ground and no third way. When Jesus was asked about divorce, he sided with the more restrictive Shammai, Shammai school over the Hillel school of interpretation. When asked about the resurrection, Jesus defended the resurrection in agreement with the Pharisees over against the Sadducees. In one sense, Jesus transcended those debates. He was, after all, calling people to himself, but he didn't act like both sides of the controversy were equally right and equally wrong, or that the best answer was some
0: of column A plus some of column b. you know that's interesting chris the the Hillel, Hillel and Shammai has to do with Pharisees and Sadducees uh and they were I, I sometimes I don't think we lump them together, you know those Sadducees and Pharisees. They were very opposed to one another, and it's fascinating. I think what he's saying there is, uh, he didn't take up camp with either one of them. I, I, it's interesting. I think as an, uh, as an evangelical, I think we, I, oddly enough, we probably would have sided up more with the Pharisees' camp. They believed in in more spiritual things, and we would have put the Sadducees in that more liberal camp that just didn't believe like we. So it's interesting. We would find ourselves in a camp. Jesus never did because he didn't need a camp. He had truth. And I think that's more or less what he's saying is stay on the truth and honestly and this is such a difficult thing as divided as we are there are isn't it interesting to to, to even say that there are times when uh, a democrat has it just as right as a republican or vice versa and the the question is what is the issue and what does the bible have to say
1: to it can i just interject since he yeah, had that that i can i can't resist taking the bait for this <laughs> i'm sorry But you said, what is the issue? And you mentioned two political parties. Yes. And what immediately comes to mind, Brand, is power. (laughs) It's power. Was that not what happened between the Pharisees and Sadducees? Absolutely. Wasn't it a power deal? They wanted to have spiritual authority, um, spiritual influence over their
0: people. But isn't it sad that sometimes that spiritual authority is more desirous of sinful human beings than truth is? And isn't that what we see in the division of our politics? I want to know my side's right, and I want my side to win in the next election more than I want the truth to prevail. And I see that more and more.
1: That's a good segue into the last point that Kevin DeYoung makes. He says, when people give you a hearing, don't lead with a hard edge and don't leave the hard stuff out. Think of Paul in the book of Acts. He begins a speech to the men of Athens with commendation and common ground but he goes on to correct their worship and he calls them to repent and he proclaims the hard to believe resurrection mm-hmm. likewise paul speaks respectfully to felix festus and agrippa but he does not avoid the doctrines and ethical demands that he knew that they would find disagreeable so paul's a model for us as we face an increasingly hostile world
0: courtesy wherever possible clarity at all costs how hard is that uh, it is hard and i think of i think of and I'm sure, I don't mean to, to disparage any good Christian brother, but there are some that feel like the truth is absolutely all-pervasive and we have to share the truth uh, and we, we have to do it with that hard edge. When the truth is, sometimes we need to, to start off with love in order to be able to come back with the truth in a way that's receptive by the other party. I remember, I, and this is such a funny illustration, I still remember uh, when I... Uh, when I worked for State Farm, this has been years and years ago, there was a lady that left, and it was her last day of work. And I remember my boss, he was a very godly man. Guy ended up in the ministry himself at some point. I remember looking at her going, well, I would tell you, I'll, I'll see you later, but let's be honest, I probably won't. And, and and his justification for being kind of harsh in that moment was, well, I need to tell the truth. And I thought, well, no, you're just being a jerk in that moment. Now, this is a good guy. I don't Again, I don't mean to disparage him, but it was one of those times where We've been taught that the truth matters so much that sometimes we say it in such a harsh way so that we can be truthful that we lose the listener. And it just he could have just as easily said, God bless you, have a great life, as to throw in all that other stuff and, and lead with a softer edge.
1: Yeah. So truth, and I don't hear you diminishing the truth. You're not belief, criticizing no. because there needs to be truth at the core of everything we do, Absolutely. how we think, how we act. But part of this truth is to have wisdom of how to engage and how to interact with somebody. And I think the danger, too, is that if we, uh, as as people of truth, as people of the book, um, it's easy to become self-righteous and, and to write somebody off. If you're not accepting this, well, just to write them off and, and and maybe even to label them. You know, they're going to hell. Uh, or they're, Arrogantly, they're,
0: like I know something you don't know or yeah. I, I'm smarter than you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, to, so we need to guard ourselves against that, that hard edge uh, that would lead to self-righteousness and lead to arrogance. Uh, we need to be very, very careful how we uh, respond. And again, Jesus uh, responded to us uh, in a way where he was gracious, his, his coming into the world, his gentleness with sinners him teaching, even allowing the children to come to him, right? The Pharisees didn't want the children around, but he said, let the children come unto me. And his example of, of grace, um, he was always teaching the truth, but he always tempered it with, with grace. And I think when the world sees that, brand, that we do care, um, that we are people filled with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, when that fills us um, they see something different at work in us. Absolutely. and I think the world is more receptive uh, to what we have to say. Sure. Brent, we've got uh, just a minute till we uh, till we need to end. Um, this has been a good program. This time has gone way too fast. Um, but we we do agree that as as christians we uh, we need to engage a hostile world, but we need to engage with wisdom, tempered with love. Uh, motivated by God's, and uh, in, in allowing God's grace to work through us. And when that happens, um, I think that we're going to see the world change.
0: Absolutely. And I think we need, to, we need to understand the fullness of the gospel. It's not just about those who have faith in Christ get to go to heaven someday. It's about the transformation of the person right now and allowing the fruit of the Spirit to pervade everything that we are. And, and, and that needs to be the front people say the church is the
1: birth amen that's a good word to close on god bless you brother appreciate you joining us